Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me in the back? All right. Well, as I look out at this crowd, I'm confronted with the reality that you are a much larger audience than what I'm used to. My Sunday mornings are generally spent downstairs with fourth and fifth grade boys in a small group. Uh, although you are a much larger audience, you are much more calm. Those boys are full of energy. And uh, if you were to walk into my room on a, on a Sunday morning and just sit with me, you would notice that as the first child comes in, sits down, we have a nice, calm, relaxed conversation. Second kid comes in, about the same. As soon as that third kid comes in, it's out the window, and all of that, that potential energy that was sitting in there becomes kinetic energy, and they are moving around, and they are talking, and, and it becomes my job, in addition to sharing God's word with them, is to kind of corral that energy and use it for something productive. So um, it's good to be with you. Uh, I don't get to stand in front of the congregation uh, very frequently, uh, so I, uh, I, I see this as a privilege, and I'm grateful to stand before you to see your smiling faces. Um, as I said, I normally spend my mornings uh, with fourth and fifth grade boys, and one of the things that I love most about being a small group leader is the chance to tell these kids about who God is, what he's done for them, and help them understand who he has created them to be, because the reality is this, kids, children, they're people too, created in the image of God with different gifts, talents, and abilities. And God wants those children to use those abilities to serve him from a very young age. And that is, that's a reality that we get to impart to these kids. So one of the things that I love uh, that Danielle does is she uses kids in the ministries here in the church. We just saw a young lady back here playing the violin You'll see kids working with other kids in the nursery uh, and in, during the encore uh, service for the, kid, for the younger kids that need to be somewhere while their parents are uh, either serving or attending the service. Uh, it's a great opportunity uh, that Danielle has presented to let these kids explore the gifts that God's blessed them with so that they can serve, uh, serve our God. Just this past week, I got an email from a student that was in my small group. I had him in second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. Uh, and I got an email, him letting me know that he was going to be serving at Northern Frontier Camp. It's a camp for boys in the Adirondacks. He was going to be doing kitchen duty for the next four weeks or so. Uh, it's going to be hard work. Uh, I have some youth camp experience. I was a camp counselor while I was in college. Uh, and I was just so excited. He asked me for prayer. And what an opportunity it is to pray alongside this young man as he serves God. And God's going to do an amazing work in his life and through his life. Um, as I said, he's going to be uh, serving in the kitchen. Don't know if he's going to be preparing any foods. If he is, we'll certainly be praying for him and along with the boys whose food he will be preparing. Uh, but it will, be, it will be a great experience for his life. And I'm, I'm so happy that he was able to reach out. Um, another thing that I enjoy is actually being able to uh, have siblings roll through my small groups. Uh, sometimes they're in the class together. Sometimes it's a couple years that separate them. But I've always found it interesting to see the differences that siblings have 
there are differences, there's similarities, uh, the different gifts and abilities that God has blessed them with. Same family, but God's created them to be very different people and to be used by him in very different ways. And it's the same way in the family of God, isn't it? We're all different people, intentionally created by God with different gifts, different abilities to be used in different ways. Uh, more, more on that to come later. So this has been quite a weekend for my family and for me. Uh, on Friday, uh, I got my Christmas gift from my daughter last, from last Christmas. Uh, she had purchased tickets for us to attend uh, the Syracuse Nationals car show. So on Friday, we hopped in the car, drove out to Syracuse, and uh, just the two of us, we walked through rows and rows of classic cars. Uh, it was a great time just to be with my daughter, just like we used to do when, when she was younger. Uh, and I got to practice not envying what Nate preached about a few weeks ago, what some of these folks had in their garages. We saw a lot of beautiful machines, and uh, it was a great time. Uh, yesterday, my brother Chris celebrated his birthday. So, Chris, happy birthday. Happy 42nd birthday. It is, it's a bummer when both of your younger brothers are in their 40s. What does that say for you? Uh, and then, of course, today, after church, my wife Sarah, my daughter Julianne, and I, we will be uh, hopping in the car and driving down to the Binghamton area. Uh, my grandparents, who now permanently reside in Florida, happen to be visiting New York for the month of July, and today we'll be getting the whole family together to celebrate their 70th wedding anniversary. So uh, we are, thank you, we're very excited about that. Uh, it's been said a number of times uh, as we've studied through 1 Corinthians, the qualities of love that Paul outlines here, they're not intended to be specific to a marriage, but it certainly would help uh, your marriage pass along more pleasantly if you embodied some of the qualities or all of the qualities uh, that we find uh, in that passage. So as I was preparing what I would say this morning, uh, I have to admit there was a lot of fear and trepidation. Uh, need to come up with something meaningful to say and then, of course, I have to stand up in front of all of you and actually say it. So I would like to say uh, thank you to quite a few of you who have reached out to me, let me know that you've been praying for me, uh, asked me how my preparation is coming. It has really meant a great deal to me. So please uh, accept my most sincere gratitude for that. There's a well-known comedian uh, who as part of his routine, outlines how public speaking is commonly people's greatest fear. And he goes on to talk about how astonishing that is, that death comes in second to public speaking. So he goes on to joke that at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than delivering the eulogy. You know, we can laugh at that joke, but as believers, we have that same hope in Christ. Uh, because of what he has done for us, we can stand blameless before him and come boldly before his throne. Uh, so before we dig in, uh, let's do just that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are truly grateful. We're grateful for your mercy and for your grace. And we confess to you our complete dependence upon you for our strength and for salvation. 
We pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to understand your word this morning as you've intended it to be understood so that we can uh, go and apply it. Thank you for Jesus, his life, his death, and the resurrection that sealed the victory over sin and death. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. So as we get started this morning, I'd like to do a little bit of a recap that will include some audience participation. Uh, so don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that's going to take you too far outside your comfort zone. Uh, but what I'd like to do is I'd just like to remind us what we've learned so far this, uh, this summer as we've talked through 1 Corinthians. So as I, as I read through and remind us what we've learned, just let's take a little time for some self-assessment. Do a little honest self-evaluation. No need to share with your neighbor. This is, this is just for you. Um, so we started off at the beginning of June. Pastor Mike talked about agape, the word uh, that we see in 1 Corinthians translated as love is the Greek word agape, and it's that self-sacrificing love. How have you been doing over the past six or so weeks? The following week, uh, we watched the Emmys with Tim Rose. Uh, and he reminded us that patience is actually enduring discomfort without complaining. How's that been going? As you've been waiting for the rain to stop, have you not complained? I bet your grass is green. It might be really tall, but it's certainly green. The next week, Pastor Carl shared, us, shared with us that every interaction that you and I have is an opportunity to show kindness. Have you been kind? The following week, Nate gave us some examples of the negative effects that envy can have. And he shared with us two examples from the Old Testament, David, Bathsheba, Cain, and Abel. And we often just name those two names when we talk about those stories, but the negative effects of envy transcended far beyond just the two people named in each story, right? So how have you done? Have you envied? Have you desired what someone else has? Pastor Mike shared with us the difference between pride and humility. The power source of pride is the self. The power source of humility is God. And he talked about David and Goliath. And then last week, Andrew Morose, Tim's brother, did you notice any similarities or difference between the siblings? I did. I won't, I won't share them with you. I'll spare you. But he reminded us that love is not arrogant or rude. Have you felt like you've been condescending this week to anybody? He reminded us that we shouldn't feel that way. We shouldn't feel that we have to condescend to anyone. And on a side note, did you hear Tim, or Andrew rather, he he shared that he was a, he's been a pastor for 14 years. I remember him out in the commons as a high school kid. And just a reminder of how fast time flies. 14 years. Makes you feel old. <laughs> and that leads us to today and our primary text. And I'll read it as we have... Uh, over the past few weeks, this is 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 4 from the ESV. Love is patient 
and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So love does not insist on its own way. And that's where we'll be camping out this morning. Uh, the New American Standard, the New King James Version, uh, translated this way, love does not seek its own. The NIV says love is not self-seeking. The NLT says love does not demand its own way. And Eugene's, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of God's word, the message, says love isn't always me first. It's not a great deal of variation in how the different translations translated this text, and that's for a reason. The message is clear. It's not complex. Love does not demand its own way. It is, however, the execution of that reality where we start to have problems and, and difficulties. I have a friend who has his DSW, a doctorate in social work, and for his dissertation, his thesis was that uh, was on the merit of uh, substance abuse counselors self-disclosing uh, to their clients their struggles with drug abuse or substance abuse, if it applied, of course. Uh, his contention was that if, he, if a counselor did share their personal struggles with their client, they'd be able to better connect and therefore uh, provide more effective counseling. Uh, sounds like a good idea to me. I didn't read his dissertation, but he's a smart guy. I think he's probably right. And so in the interest of uh, full disclosure, love not insisting on his own way, that's an area that I struggle with. And there's a good chance that it's an area that you all struggle with too. Otherwise, we probably would not have uh, had it included in 1 Corinthians 13. So before we dig a little bit deeper, I'd like to just uh, take a step back and kind of set the context of this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church full of people just like you and me in Corinth. Uh, it's a book of our Bible now, but it was a letter directly written to them many years ago. So I'd like to establish the context in when and why that, uh, that letter was written. So Corinth, which is and still is, uh, which was and still is in Greece, it's a port city, and it's on an isthmus, and there's seas on both sides, and so it was a, uh, a heavy commercial, uh, heavy, heavily, uh, heavy commercial city. Um, it was also a Roman colony, so while being in Greece, uh, it also had significant Roman influence. So both Greek and Roman cultures uh, pervaded. Given that it was a, a merchant city, uh, travelers from all over and tradesmen would, would come, adding to the diversity of this, of this city uh, that just kind of stirred it up a little, bit, uh, a little bit more. And commentators indicate that the inhabitants of Corinth were deeply concerned with wealth, power, and status. That doesn't sound too dissimilar from what we see in our own culture today. Acts chapter 18 tells us that Paul started this church 
on his, uh, on his second missionary journey, and it was growing in numbers significantly. He stayed with them for about 18 months, uh, establishing the church there, teaching them the truths of God. And the church was filled with believers that came from both Jewish and non-Jewish backgrounds. And we'll see as we dig deeper into 1 Corinthians uh, why that might have caused some problems. So one of the issues that was occurring in the church in Corinth was what to do about foods sacrificed to pagan gods. So if you're able, turn in your Bibles with me, uh, just a few chapters back in 1 Corinthians to chapter 8, verses 4 through 13. You'll also see it appear on the screen. And I'll start in verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak, I'm sorry, if Will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So here, Paul's reminding the church that because there's only one true God, that this food sacrificed to pagan idols is not sacrificed to anything at all. And that eating that food, in reality, will neither help them nor harm them. But he also reminds them that the right to eat this food does not supersede the responsibility to look out for the welfare of a brother with a weaker conscience. We'll continue into 1 Corinthians 10, where the conversation continues. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 23, Paul continues, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience 
If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So as I said before, the church in Corinth had believers from both Jewish and non-Jewish backgrounds. For some of those believers, eating meat sacrificed to idols was not a big deal. For others, a major stumbling block. Paul reminded the believers that the, the real issue is not whether or not you eat this food. The real issue was your heart. Who are you more concerned with? Are you more concerned with exercising the right that you have as a free uh, person in Christ? Or are you more concerned with how your brother, your neighbor is going to uh, respond to what you're doing? Remember how Jesus responded to the Pharisees when they challenged him about why his disciples didn't follow the traditional hand-washing uh, practices of uh, the rabbis. In Matthew 15, 11, and 18, he says, uh, it's not what goes in to the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then in 18, he continues, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Jesus says that the condition of our heart is determined by what comes out of us. That's the proof. Not whether we eat the food, whether we don't eat the food, whether we wash our hands, whether we don't wash our hands before we eat. That's, that's not the issue. None of those things are going to commend us to God. None of those things are going to condemn us before God. So again, the question is, do we insist on exercising our freedom in Christ? Or do we give deference to our brother who God loves and died to save? So, what are we really talking about here, and, and why? This is 2023 in upstate New York. I don't know the last time you were standing in the checkout line at Hannaford wondering, I wonder if this chicken breast has been sacrificed to idols. Probably hasn't happened. The issue isn't, as we just talked about, the issue isn't whether or not something's been sacrificed to an idol, do we eat it, that's not something that we deal with today, but there are plenty of issues that are not essential to our faith in Christ that we can disagree about. It doesn't matter what they are. We've all had disagreements. We've all failed to exercise uh, love, as Paul has outlined in 1 Corinthians 13. We've demanded our own way. We've insisted that our way is right. That's what we're talking about, church. The church of God... And this might be an oversimplification, but allow me. Uh, the church of God has two primary functions. One, we need to build each other up. This needs to be a place where we can come together, encourage one another, and prepare us for the work that, has, that God has called us to do. And then secondly, it's a much higher calling and a, and a higher standard. God has called us 
to be ministers of his grace to a lost and dying world. It's not just a matter of making our lives pleasant. We talk about love. We talk about being patient, being kind, not being arrogant or rude or boasting, not envying. Yes, those are all very nice things. And yes, if we do them, our lives are going to be a lot more pleasant. But that's not the only reason that God calls us to do it. It's not so that we feel good. It's not so that we have happy lives. It is in part, God calls us to live in harmony with one another, but that's not the primary reason, I don't think. I think the primary reason is, church, we need to avoid the distractions that shift our focus from what God really has called us to do as a body and that is, I think that's the biggest detriment. And I think that's what Paul is trying to, to communicate to the church in Corinth here by, by sharing what to do, how to enact in their daily lives this agape love that doesn't come natural to us. This is something that we need to work at. This is something that takes focus and intent. You know, there's a, there's the reality that the church is God's, God's messenger to a lost and dying world. Um, and we know that before the foundation of the world, God had prepared his plan of salvation before Adam and Eve sinned, God knew that Jesus would be his plan to redeem the world to himself. And that plan of redemption is something that connects all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We can't be effective co-laborers with God if we are focused on ourselves. We can't be effective uh, co-laborers with God if we're unkind, if we're impatient, all of these qualities that we've, that we've discussed so far this summer in 1 Corinthians, uh, that's allowing us to put into practice the actions that will allow us to truly show the, the world God's love. Um, in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So we have to deny ourselves in order to fulfill the call that God has placed on our lives, both as individuals and also as a body. We can't get distracted by the challenges that we face that seek to ten, uh, take our attention away from the work that God's called us to do. There's a, a Romanian, Romanian pastor named Richard Wormbrand, uh, and he authored a book called Tortured for Christ. I don't know if anyone's familiar with him or if, if you might have read the book. I do recommend it. It's not an easy read. Uh, it's only about 150 pages, but in his book, he accounts uh, for the torture that he endured in a communist prison. Um, on February 29, 1948, he was kidnapped by 
uh, secret police and taken to a communist prison where he was held for over eight years. His family, his church, his friends had no idea what had happened to him. At one point in time, uh, Soviet secret police posing as escaped prisoners visited uh, Richard's wife and shared with her that they had attended his burial service, so she thought he was dead. A few years after Richard's imprisonment, his wife was also arrested, leaving their nine-year-old son to fend for himself. Um, the sad reality of, of that time period in Romania was it was illegal for the community to help the family of imprisoned Christians, so he was left as an orphan. Throughout years of horrific treatment, sorrow, discouragement, Richard never lost his focus. As a prisoner in these communist prisons, he encouraged his prisoners. He shared Christ with them. Many in the prisons came to Christ because of his ministry. He didn't get distracted. He didn't lose focus. That was not, living his life in a, in a communist prison was certainly not his way, right? We're not to insist our own way. Uh, he certainly wasn't insisting on his own way. He didn't have a choice. But he did choose how he would respond to the unfavorable circumstances that he was presented with. There was a guard that would catch him praying because praying was against the rules in prison and he would be taken, he would be beaten and he would be sent back to his cell told not to do it again. This was a cycle that repeated itself over and over and over again. They would beat the bottoms of his feet so that he couldn't walk and throughout the rest of his life he had problems walking because of the torture that he endured. This guard finding him praying again, asked him, what could you possibly be praying for? What in the world could you possibly be praying for? They had taken his freedom. They had taken his family. From their perspective, they had taken his life. Richard shocked the guard when he replied, I'm praying for you. We have to recognize that we are called to a higher calling. We are called to love with a love that the world doesn't understand, but they know when they see it, they know that they are attracted to it. And that's the love of God. My daughter graduated from Laudenville Christian School in uh, June of last year. And she had a, an English teacher named Mrs. Gabeline that she enjoyed quite a bit. And Mrs. Gabeline actually spoke to the graduating class of uh, Lonville Christian School this year. And she was referencing how, how they would have the opportunity, the graduating class, as they moved on to college and other things, to, to shine their light of Christ, to share love with, with others. And she said that these opportunities would often present themselves 
at the most inconvenient times and in the most unlovely ways. And as I sat in this auditorium, that struck me and because I think we probably all do a, a nice job of responding with love when it's convenient for us and when it's uh, towards someone that we like. But when it's inconvenient, when we've had a bad day, when we're tired, when we've still got a lot to do, when it's with someone that maybe we don't get along with too well, that's when we most often fail. And this is the encouragement that we're finding in God's word, that this is something that we can do through the strength that, that God will give us. What he's called us to do, he will empower us to do. And that is a great truth. So church, as you begin your weeks, I'd like you to be ready for opportunities to love the other at inconvenient times and in unlovely ways. It's not a great pep talk, but it's the reality that we often face in life. And of course, our ultimate example is Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane prayed to his father, knowing the weight of what was to come. He asked the Lord to take that cup from him, but he said, not my will, but yours, Lord. And that's what needs to be our anthem. Not my will, Lord, but yours. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful. Uh, you, have, you have paved the way for us to have life eternal through your son, Jesus. And that is the message that you want your church to share with a lost and dying world. Thank you for the privilege that we have to take that to our friends, to our neighbors, to those that don't know you. Lord, enable us to walk in a manner that draws them to you. Help us to shine our lights so that the people that see us will glorify you because of the work that you do through us. Help us to love the other. Let us be the church. Let us encourage one another. And let us reach more people for the cause of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.